Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1? We're going to be back in our study of, of this letter and uh, continue there. And thanks, Will, if you can give me a little assist. <laughs> Lauren, I like the uh, remembrance of Easter again today. That was really good, all those songs, to keep that in our heart. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're looking at four verses this morning that really are a transitional passage between what he has said and the opening of this letter and the reason that he is writing. And in this particular passage, he's going to talk about the importance that we remember the truth of what he has shared. So let me read this for you, and then we'll jump into the text. Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I think of how Peter talked about the need to be reminded of the truth of your word. That's the reason we're here. That's the reason we come Sunday after Sunday, to hear from your word, to fellowship together, to worship you, to spend time in the word in our ABFs or Sunday school classes or student ministry. And God, I pray that you would use all of these times to help us grow individually in our walk with you and to help us grow as a church, to be that church that is strong and firm and steadfast, standing upon the truth of your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, one of the things that Gail and I enjoyed about living in this area was that we were close enough to see our parents and for our kids to know their grandparents. And uh, through the years, you know, my mom and dad have passed away, and a few years ago, Gail's dad passed away. Her mom's still living, but it's been really nice to be able to have seen them during the time that they were still living. And one of the things I remember about Gail's dad, he died a couple years ago, was that whenever we saw him, uh, Bill was a man of few words, you know. He just didn't say a lot. He was kind of that quiet, steady individual. But every time we left his house to go home, he always said the same thing. He'd, he'd stop and he'd look me in the eye at the doorway and he'd shake my hand and he'd say, drive carefully, drive carefully. And when we were first married, you know, I'd think about that and I'd go, now, is there anything else that he means by that? Is he just being nice or, you know, is he thinking I'm really going to go out there and drive recklessly? You know, has he seen something? Or, or is he really saying to me, you know, take good care of my daughter? Maybe that was it in the message. But as I got to know Bill, I think really he said that because he cared for us and he wanted us to make it safely home. And he wanted us to call or let him know that we had arrived safely home if it was a longer trip that we were going on. Well, in the passage we're going to look at today, I think Peter shares that same attitude. Peter is going to give us some important reminders. He's going to tell us things that we have heard before, but we need to hear it again. And he shares these reminders because he cares for us. He cares for the church. He cares for his disciples. 
and he wants to make sure that we make it safely home to our heavenly home. And I call this message, Truth Bears Repeating. And what we see in this passage are three words that really emphasize this point, three words that I'm going to pick up on in these four verses, and they are the words, remind, refresh, and remember. I'm going to remind you, I'm going to refresh you, and I want you to remember what I have to say. The word remind is found in verse 12, and that's the first point, where Peter says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I will remind you of these things because we are forgetful, and we need that. And I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again because I care about you. You know, I appreciate that as a pastor (laughs) because a big part of what we do in ministry is reminding people of things that we have heard before but need to hear again over and over. And think about that. I mean, if you are a parent, isn't that what we do with our children when they are young especially, but even as they get older? We repeat ourselves a lot. When kids are young, we're telling them, you know, wash your hands, pick up your room, or eat your vegetables, or don't hit your brother, or don't play in the street. Or we remind them that we love you, and we say, I love you, over and over again. And we do those kind of reminders because we do love them when we care for them. And we also know that there is a big difference between knowing something in your head and doing it. You know, you can know things in your head, but that doesn't mean you're actually going to do it, you know. Kids can know that they should wash their hands before eating, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it. And they could know that you want them to pick up their room or put things away, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it without a reminder. The same thing is true spiritually. We can know that Jesus is Lord. We can sing about that in our choruses and our hymns. We can sing about his lordship, but there are times in our life when we live as though he isn't Lord. There are times when God says to us, don't be anxious. We still get anxious. We worry, we fret, we try to take things into our own hands to solve it all. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and give those burdens to me. And we need to be reminded to do that over and over again. We can believe in the power of prayer, but even like today, it's good to hear those answers to prayer and to be reminded that God really does work in response to his people. We are forgetful, and we need reminders. A week ago, I was watching 60 Minutes. Last Sunday evening, maybe some of you did too. There was an interesting story. It was the second part of a story that Leslie Stahl has done on people with an eidetic memory, or kind of a photographic memory, but this in particular, uh, focused on people who have what is called a superior autobiographical memory a superior autobiographical memory where they can remember everything that they did on any given day in their life. And it's it's fascinating. I mean, you could pick out a day at random and say July 13th, 2012. They can tell you what day of the week it was, whether it was a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. They can tell you what they had for breakfast that day. They can tell you whether it was a good day or a bad day because they remember everything. And it's like right there, 
and they relive the emotions and the feelings that they had about that day. And there's only, you know, there were like a handful of people that they were interviewing, including a 10-year-old boy who was like that. And they're trying to study and figure out, well, why is this that some people have that? You know, is, are all of our memories really maybe all there in our brain for all of us and we just can't, like, access it like they do? Is there something different about the way that they are made? But it was amazing to see. And you can understand how there would be good and bad in that. It would be kind of fun to be able to have that, you know, perfect a memory. But there's a lot of those bad things that we'd rather not remember again and forget. Well, I was watching that story and I thought about this message, how truth needs to be repeated. And I thought I'd give a little quiz this morning to see how good your memory is and see if anybody here maybe has one of those special memories. So, April 28th, 2013. What was the title of my message that day? I'll give you a hint, it was a Sunday, you know, if you're guessing what day of the week it was. Uh, if you don't remember, I understand. I didn't remember either. I had to look it up. You know, it was the last message in our series on the story. We were in the book of Revelation talking about the end of time. Anybody remember the story, that series? Okay, good, good, that's a good start. All right, how about make this a little easier? What about last Sunday, Easter? What was I talking about, or what was the title of that message? Anybody have an old bulletin you can look at, or no? You know, and we talked about the day that changed our world. Talked about the resurrection, obviously, on that Sunday. You know, the reason we need to be reminded is because we forget. We don't keep all those things perfectly in our mind, and we need to hear the truth of God's Word over and over again. I do know someone in our church who is a very good note-taker, uh, he has been here from the beginning of our church when it started. And he could tell you the, the last time I spoke on this text. Because in his Bible, he's written down the date that I preached on certain texts, or, or he made notes, you know, on what the message was about, or maybe some of the points that stuck out to him. And he could tell you that the last time I spoke from this passage of Scripture was January 15th, 1995, almost 20 years ago. You know, that's the way most of us are wired. We remember things because we write them down. Or we make a point to remember those things that stand out to us. Now, just because we don't remember things, does that mean that preaching is ineffective? Not at all. Not at all. It's like those meals that we eat every day. You know, in 59 years of living, I don't remember every meal I've had, but I sure enjoyed a lot of them, most of them, I would say. And there are certain meals that stand out because maybe it was tied to a special occasion, a, a birthday or a holiday or a special event that took place in your life, and you have memories like that that stand out. But all of those meals were important. And the same thing, I think, is true about preaching. There are certain messages that are going to be tied to events in your life, and you're going to go, I remember that. I remember you talking about that. Or God's word that day just cut to your heart, and you say, you know what, that's the day I responded. And I came to Christ that day. And God knows that. He uses that. But all of those messages are part of what keeps us on track and growing in our relationship with him. If we don't have a constant reminder from God's word, what happens? We can drift in our faith. We can lose our first love. 
And over time, people can walk away from the faith. It's important that we stay grounded in the Word. Sadly, we've seen all of those things happen, both in the Bible and in history. We've seen it in the Bible with Israel, who wandered away from the Lord in the Old Testament. We see it in America with colleges and universities like Harvard or Yale or Princeton and others that were started on a solid foundation of Scripture and then drifted and moved away from that. We've seen it happen with even churches and denominations that once were preaching the gospel but now have such a universalist message that they've completely watered down the truth. It could happen to us too if we don't stay grounded in the Word. That's why we need reminders of what is essential, of what is eternal, of what is truth. Michael Green said, that such is the forgetfulness of the human heart that one of the prime functions of a Christian minister must be to keep the basic facts of the Christian truth and conduct always before the minds of his congregation. Secondly, Peter uses the word refresh in verses 13 and 14. He said, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. We need to be refreshed because life is short. We don't know how long we have upon this earth. And also, the scripture tells us that we're not to waste our life, we're to make the most of the time that we have been given. And to do that, we need to live it according to God's word. Here Peter shares with us that he knows that his time on earth will soon come to an end. He, like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, describes his body as a tent, a tent that is going to be laid aside soon. It is fragile, it's wearing out, and one day it's going to be laid in the grave. This physical body we have is wonderful. It's an amazing gift from God, but it is also frail. And one day all of us will die. For Peter, the Lord had made it clear to him that that would be soon. Was that in a vision? We don't know. Was it in uh, uh, something that God had shown him? Was it in the circumstances of his life? Perhaps he knew what was happening in Rome and he knew it would be soon that he would be put to death by Nero. Or maybe Peter is thinking back to what Jesus said to him and John 21, 18. That the day was going to come, Peter, when they're going to bind your hands and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And Peter knew that he was going to die at the hands of evil men. That day was coming for Peter. And so Peter says, it is right for me to refresh your memory as long as I live. I'm going to preach this truth. There are several scholars who think that this letter is really Peter's final testament, like we would write a last will and testament. It has those indicators. Peter knows he's about to die. He is gathering his family, in a sense, his spiritual family. He's talking to them as his children, and he is stressing what he wants them to remember in the days ahead. Last words can be very significant. The Apostle John, when he died, we are told, and, and again, this is not in Scripture. This is one of those things that is a legend that has been, 
brought down to us in our time. We are told that the Apostle John, when he was old and dying, was asked what he would want to say to the church as his final message. And he replied simply, love one another, love one another, love one another. It was the message that Jesus had imprinted on his heart. The importance that we in the body of Christ would love God and love one another. And we would show that we are disciples by our love. When Paul wrote to Timothy, his final words were a little more formal. They were written in 2 Timothy and his last letter that came before he died. And he said to Timothy this. He said, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And go on to the next slide. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. And do it in season and out of season. Do it whether people want to hear it or not. Preach the truth of God's word. You know, those words stick in our heart when we think of the earnestness that was there, when we think of how seriously these apostles took the gospel. They were willing to lay down their life for Christ. And they're doing this because they care about us and they care about his church. Samuel Rutherford was a pastor, and on his deathbed, someone close to him recorded his dying testament. Dear brethren, do all for him. Pray for Christ. Preach for Christ. Do all for Christ and beware of men pleasing. The chief shepherd will shortly appear. John Wesley, in his final declaration, said the best of all, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. Farewell. And then he passed away. And D.L. Moody, in his last words that were recorded, he said to his family that earth was receding and heaven was opening for him. And he said, this is my coronation day. This was the day that he had looked forward to all his life, the day when he would go to be with Christ. You know, and that hope sustained these men in their, in their ministry and their desire to please God. And it's what they wanted to pass on to their churches. You know, I think all of us sense that urgency as we get older. We want to pass on our faith to our children and our grandchildren. Some have done it in a letter that is to be read along with their uh, final testament uh, or with their will. Uh, some people have even recorded a video message to be shared with their children or grandchildren that is a testimony. I think that's great. I think those kind of things where you have written down or you have shared what is important to you and your faith in Jesus Christ can be a powerful witness for generations to come. So let me ask you, if you knew that you had one year to live, 
what would you want to say to your family and friends? If you, like Peter, knew that your time was short, what would you want to stress to them? Thirdly, Peter says, remember, in verse 15, I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. The last thing Peter would want is for the church to forget and to fall away from the truth. And so he says, I will make every effort. I'm going to give this my best shot. I'm going to say what needs to be said. And when you hear those words, do you think this was important to Peter? Absolutely it was important to him. And by this letter that he has written, he still speaks to us. Some even think that this was why, again, uh, Mark's gospel, we believe, is Peter's uh, gospel, his stories, his collection. I mean, in this time period, he may have had Mark gather the stories that Peter shared with him to put that down as the last testament as well. And by the word of God, he still speaks. But where did that desire come from? Where did this passion come from? That, guys, you need to know this. Men and women, you need to know the truth of God's word. I think it came out of Peter's experience with Jesus and what happened at the Last Supper and after that. Go back to the Last Supper when Jesus is there with the disciples in the upper room. Remember what he said to Peter? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Satan's going to test you. He's asked for permission to do that more than you can imagine at this point what's going to happen. And Peter will hear that and he'll say, you know, Lord, I'll never deny you. I mean, even if, if, if uh, they put me to death, I'm, I'm never going to deny you. And we know what happened. We all know what happened as he was confronted that night when Jesus was arrested. And three times he denied even knowing him. And Jesus looked at him that night in the courtyard. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had failed. He had fallen, but the Lord was true to his word. Peter would fall, but the Lord was true to his word, and his faith did not fail. And Peter would become the leader that God meant him to be. Peter would be restored. Peter would understand how important it is when the Holy Spirit was given to wait and to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, and it changed his life. Those events, the fact of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the restoration of Jesus who would go to Peter and say, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And how do we feed them? It's by the Word of God. It's by the truth. It's not our words that make the difference or give the power it is the word of god that changes hearts and life and what you see in this text which is really interesting you think of those words about falling you think about those words of strengthen your brothers and you go back to verse 11 in this passage maybe i'll start at verse 10 chapter 1 verse 10 
Peter said, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. You'll never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason Peter writes this letter is because he's concerned about us and Peter wants to keep us from falling. And he wants us to be established or strengthened in our faith. I mean, that's, that's his heart concern. He goes, I don't want you to fall like I did. I don't want you to mess up like I did when I denied Jesus. But by the grace of God, he changed my life. He forgave me. And he's given me this opportunity to share with you how you can avoid that. And the way that you avoid it, the way we avoid it, is by being grounded in the truth of God's word every single day of our life. Peter learned his lesson. And he writes to the church, I want you to remember these things after I am gone. So forgive me if I say it over and over again. And what are these things? I mean, this is the second time he said it this way. In verse 12, he said, I will always remind you of these things. And then again in verse 15, after my departure, I want you to be able to remember these things. These things refer to what he has written in this letter. It goes back to what he said in verses 1 to 11 and what he's going to address in the rest of the letter. These things include the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, our trusting in Christ and what he has done for us. It's that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to live the Christian life or a life pleasing to God. We've been given his great and precious promises in the word of God. Our faith, if it is genuine, must grow. So now make every effort to add to your faith these virtues that he stressed. Be fruitful. Make your calling and election sure. Let the world see Jesus in you and set your hope on what is to come in the future. Be reminded of these things that one day we will stand before Christ. And when that day comes, if you have lived in a way that is pleasing to him, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter wants them and he wants us to be so grounded in the word of God that we will stand firm against the threats that come our way. To the church in Rome at that time, to the church that Peter is writing about, the threats were persecution and false teachers. For us, it's probably more the threats of materialism or worldliness, but also false teaching is still very prevalent today too. And how do we stand firm? by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the practice of prayer, it's by our worship of God, it's by our fellowship with one another to encourage each other in our growth in Christ. Go ahead to the conclusion here, if you would. Pastor David Helms wrote about this passage too, and he made this statement. He said that Christians who keep themselves from falling and Christians who have a faith that flourishes and Christians who will finish well will be those who dig a little deeper as well as those who find ways to resist the winds in their spiritual efforts to go a little higher. 
He's calling Christians to dig a little deeper, to make sure you're standing on the truth of God's word, to be ready to handle the winds of resistance and opposition and temptation that are going to come by the power of God's word. And if you will do that, your faith will flourish and you will not fall. Last Monday was the running of the 118th Boston Marathon. And it got an especial amount of attention this year because it was one year ago that the bombings took place that were just so horrible, so awful. This whole year, there's been a motto that Boston has used to express their determination. It's the motto, Boston Strong. And they kept saying that, and they kept saying, we are going to respond. Boston Strong meant we will not fear, we will overcome, we will be stronger than ever. We're not going to let this event take away from the things that we love and enjoy in our city and in our country. And there was a man who won this race. His name was Meb Kefelzegi or something like that, a little bit difficult to pronounce. But he became the first American male to win the race since 1983. What was interesting about his story is that he's uh, 38 years old, going on 39. He had been a runner in college at UCLA. And when he saw what happened last year and the tragic events that unfolded, he determined in his heart that he wanted to run this race for the four people that died. He wanted to run this race for those people who had lost their life. This year, more than a million people lined the streets of Boston, watched the race, and he crossed the finish line in first place. I think about that motto, Boston Strong. We will not fear, we will overcome, we will be stronger than ever. And I think about what it takes to run a marathon that you hit that wall, you have to dig a little deeper, you have to gut it out, you have to persevere, you have to work hard. And if you will do that in the end, by the grace of God, you will succeed. And for us as believers, it is by the grace of God that we are overcomers as Christians. And we don't need to give in to fear. We can be strong because Christ is with us. We can overcome. We can say no to sin. We can resist the devil we can be triumphant because Jesus Christ lives and works in us. So remember, remember these things. Let's pray. Father, when I think about the importance of your word, I know it full well. I know how when I'm in your word, it makes such a huge difference in my life. And if I get forgetful and I don't have that time with you, I see the effects of that also. And God, I pray that all of us would be growing in our faith, that we be the kind of people that delight in your word like the psalmist, that we meditate on it day and night, and that it would do its transforming work in our life, that we would be overcomers, strong, firm, steadfast because of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.